Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Before I begin the first episode of the second season of Songbook, let me tell you about the first music book I loved. I'm 15, 16 or thereabouts, it's 1993 or 1994, a moment in time that music magazines are shifting their attentions from America to Britain, but more of that period later, with our first season two guest. At this moment, I've just discovered something thrilling myself. Opposite Cosignum bus station, away from the chewing gum covered benches, the bins overflowing with chip wrappers, and the strangely pedestrian stone circle. This thing I found is a shelf in the local one-story library full of music books. Books from other worlds to me. Um, there's one about a band with big hair and smudge lipstick called Cure, which I take out loads. There's one about a magical creature who sang about running up a hill in a grey suit on Wogan that I remember from the 80s, Kate Bush. It crawled from the south, an REM companion by Marcus Gray, published by Guinness Publishing. Michael Stipe stares at me from his cover, his arms crossed, defiant, and I take out this book more than 20 times. 20 years later, I bought it off eBay. I still loved it. I found Marcus Gray's email on the internet, emailed him, told him I loved it. And I recommend you do this to anyone who's written a music book you enjoyed. Um, That memory from the mid-90s underlines to me how music books were my portals to the worlds of so many artists I love. Um, And this podcast is here to introduce you to more of them. So welcome. I'm Jude Rogers, journalist, author of The Sounds of Being Human, How Music Shapes Our Lives, published by White Rabbit Books. And this is Songbook Season 2, the White Rabbit podcast, all about books we love about music. In this series, I interview music makers, music writers, music broadcasters, basically music lovers of all stripes, about books they adore, and sometimes books I've introduced them to that I think they'd like. Season one is still available. If you want to hear Brett Anderson talking about filthy 1980s fan letters, Shirley Collins cutting through the sexism of folk culture, or Ian Rankin revisiting the Joy Division novel he never wrote, as well as chats with Stephanie Phillips, Vashti Bunyan, Lloyd Bradley, Jeff Lloyd, and many more. Season two's inaugural guest comes to us as the number one chart topper of the Rough Trade Bookshop's Best Music Books list of 2022. This is despite her book's more reticent subtitle, How Music Saved Me From Success. Her memoir, Fingers Crossed, is the story of a girl born to a Japanese actor mum and Hungarian journalist dad. She had an incredibly tough early life before she started to make music and carve out another path for herself. Her band, Lush, made, fittingly, lush atmospheric music. They were lumped into the so-called shoegaze scene for a while in their early days, although I'd rather call it immersive, gorgeous dream pop, before they broke out into bold indie pop and toured the world. Front woman stood out at a time when songs made by boys were often getting more attention. My first guest for Songbook Season 2 is Mickey Berenyi. Hi, Mickey. Hello. How are you? I'm fine. Fingers crossed, just everywhere in the end of year polls. Um, before we start talking today, I wanted to ask you this. Before you wrote your book, had you read any memoirs of musicians, you know, best known in the indie world in the mid-1990s? You know, and maybe by, you know, obviously... I know Jarvis Cocker wrote one last year. Alex James wrote, has written a few. 
Louise Weiner wrote one. Had you read any of those and thought that's not quite the whole story or had you avoided them like the plague? I mean, I'll be honest. I My experience of music books was generally on tour with Lush and Chris and Phil, maybe Steve a bit, the, basically the boys, especially Chris was really into them. So it was all that hammer of the gods and <laughs> Wonderland Avenue, whatever. Do you know what I mean? All these kind of, you know, the Motley Crue thing. And and every now and again, I'd sort of dip into it. There's one or two I thought, okay, that is, you know, quite entertaining. But mostly I just found them really badly written, <laughs> right? So, and that is a struggle for me. I don't want to be a snob about it, but I did English literature. So... I've got quite a high bar on the sort of quality <laughs> of writing. So really when a lot of and I I didn't really read biographies. I read, you know, mostly fiction. Every now and again, I think I read the Kenneth Williams diaries and oh, and the Peter Sellers biography. But but only because they were just fascinating people to mm. me. So I'm not really like a big consumer of those sort of books. So really you know, I'm sorry, but Alex James, like, I'm not going to read that, right? I'm not going <laughs> to waste my time on that. And I'm sorry, I am being a bit catty here, but you're literally talking about someone whose life I have absolutely no interest in. But I'm just saying the draw isn't there for me. Like, no insult to Louise Wenner or whoever has yeah, written yeah. their book. I mean, I am, I totally understand if no one wants to read my book and they think, well, why would I want to read about the singer in Lush? Like, who cares? <laughs> so I do get that feeling, you know. Um, I, but, you know, if you're into music books, great. Yeah. So when Fingers Crossed came out, you said on Front Row, I think it was, on Radio 4, that you wouldn't have written it without being approached. Why not? Because it would never have occurred to me that that was a thing to do at all, you know. And, and you know, I think, first of all, just, just because, like I say, who cares? Who cares about the singer in Lush and what she what her life was? So obviously a lot of people did and a lot of people <clears throat> have read it. Yeah, I'm not very good at preempting those things because <laughs> even when, like, Lush did a reunion thing, it did take Emma and Phil to go... Because, again, I was like, well, who's going to give a shit about Lush reforming? And, you know, they were the ones who were like, you know, you might want to have a look at social media. There are a lot of people out there who still love the band. There are lots of bands starting up that are referencing the band. I didn't have a clue, right? So I think I felt the same way about a book. Also, I know nothing about the book publishing world. So I was, you know, I did initially dismiss it as just a completely ridiculous idea. But I had to be a little bit convinced, I think. You know, it sounds almost sort of faux humble, doesn't it? To say, oh, God, well, who's going to be interested in little old me? <laughs> but but that is genuinely how I felt. You know, it's like, why would you waste your time trying to write a book about yourself when no one's going to be interested? So it did take some convincing to get me to do it. And mm. then, of course, I had the kind of the mountain to get over that was writing about a band where one person is no longer alive mm. and two of the people last in that band don't speak to me mm. navigating all that and obviously you know your book goes deep into you know as i said earlier really tough subjects including child abuse and suicide you know it's hard to think about those let alone put your memories or experiences of being around those situations on the page um there's also you such joy in your love of music throughout the book and how it gave you a kind of sustenance or you know it's a cliche that music gives you escape but I get the sense that it gave you somewhere to put things and um 
Now, how important was it to you to get across, you know, what music did for you? Well, I think it was important in the, you know, I think, again, the sort of standard template, I think, of a kind of rock biog is the kind of, you know, precociousness of some, oh, I started writing songs when I was five or, you know, this sort of lifelong love of music. And and that's kind of like the sort of star is born sort of trope that everybody wants to hear from that kind of story. And I actually think that 90% of the time it's not like that. So there was something about writing my own story that I did want to sort of challenge what I think become quite tired tropes. Child abuse, you know, as clearly, you know, the experience I had wasn't, fun right it was terrible but it wasn't what most people think of child abuse as you know not least because the perpetrator was a woman um and I think you know it's the looking at things in a slightly different way trying to get to the truth of them actually how you really feel about something not how it is acceptable to feel and therefore that's what you say you know child abuse is a very tricky thing it has all kinds of effects on people but the standard kind of the way you tend to want to sort of talk about it is you were this absolute victim. You know, you did nothing wrong. Someone made you do these things and blah, blah, blah. But unfortunately, that's not how you often feel inside, you know. And I felt that there was, you know, the hardest thing to get over with something like child abuse is that feeling of complicity, which is very rarely talked about and with good reason because it wasn't that long ago when judges and that would, you know, condemn very young people for having, you know, brought it on themselves. Mm. Um, But those, I think, are the more resonant ways to talk about things because they're actually true. And you take that idea of, you know, finding out the truth or your truth, you know, through lots of other experiences, the band, you know, obviously... Death of Chris, um, but also just the detail of that scene is bigger than a scene. It wasn't one scene, just the detail of the music world of that time. Um, you know, the sexism of the time. You write, my long hair and short dresses are now a signal that I'm gagging for it. I've been doing what I do for years and now I'm being reframed as happy to be objectified. Um, it was a strange time. I also love this. Sorry for being a party pooper. I know a ton of you had a blast, but I fucking hate Britpop <laughs> and I'm glad the whole sorry shit fest ended up imploding. I just wish it hadn't done so much damage while it lasted. Um, you know, obviously, some other people have talked a little bit about how that time gets framed. But, you know, I don't think I've read in such detail, and such consistency, you know, somebody tearing it apart. You know, the kind of very old school kind of um, roots of it. You know, as soon as in this sort of indie, in quote marks, went into the mainstream, it became very tabloid. You know, it kind of fell into all those old traps. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, I think, as you said earlier, you know, the way the kind of music as a kind of world to vanish into, there was sort of quite a lot of sides to it. You know, the glamour of seeing Top of the Pops, the kind of, you know, the the posters on the wall, the kind of immersiveness of, of just, you know, escaping whatever crap is in your life by sort of having this, you know, world of music where there are kind of beautiful, soulful, 
you know, remarkable people, you know, it's a fantasy. But the reality of actually going to gigs and suddenly meeting, you know, discovering this entire scene in London of so many different kind of scenes, different bands, all kinds of groups of people, fanzines, people who, you know, were cartoonists and there's huge amount of creativity, not least because there was a very high employment, unemployment at the time in the kind of mid eighties or early eighties even. And I think, you know, because that was my entry point into the scene and I don't want to sit there and pretend it was like Nirvana. I mean, it was, you know, there were dickheads and there were, you know, backbiting and bitching and all sorts of crap went on. But it was sort of, you know, it was, you know, yes, there was sort of macho violence and not least if you went to a lot of psychobilly gigs. But I think there was a kind of diversity you know, there were different bands. You could go and see anarcho-punk bands. You could go and see psychobilly bands. You could go and see student bands. You could, you know, you saw like the Smiths supporting the Sisters of Mercy. There was a real mm. kind of mix-up of different bands and different types of people. And everyone was kind of allowed to be their tribe. And what pissed me off about Britpop, I think, is that everything just got subsumed into this one thing. You weren't allowed to be anything else. And that was the way you were judged. And all the music papers were only writing about that. And all the kind of, even though there were loads more kind of, you know, TV programs popping up, it was all about that. It was all the girly show and kind of, we're all going to be ladettes. It's going to be Britpop. And it's just that kind of monoculture that I found really trapping, you know. By just, you know, doing what you want to do normally, kind of living a life as a fairly forthright independent person or you know feisty you were called obviously feisty sassy I know, it's so <laughs> patronizing isn't it <laughs> like you know it kind of it kind of shrinks down your anger doesn't it mm. to call it feisty like you're this sort of tiny little cartoon creature mm. that's just just has opinions has difficult opinions just to have an effect rather than actually believing them it's great reading somebody you know kind of crystallizing that for you know for somebody like me who was in her late teens at the time and who was just feeling a little bit unnerved by what was going on and, and you know and what crystallized it all going wrong was just seeing the country house video by blur and thinking this isn't right i know this isn't right <laughs> every element of it isn't right as you know various members of blur have well said at the time and have said ever after anyway enough about blur more about you <laughs> um so we'll go on to talk about how your the book you've chosen today kind of sort of does a very similar thing about deconstructing a scene mm. and in a in an interesting way but before we do that um i'm going to ask you the three questions i ask every guest at the beginning of an episode so mickey what was the first music you loved <laughs> I've picked a really weird thing. Good. Because, because from, you know, if, if you read the book, you sort of realise that I didn't have like older siblings. My parents were immigrants, you know, really. So they weren't massively into kind of British music. And a lot of the music I grew up kind of really getting into was like off the telly it was like Hollywood musicals which were on all the time and my dad's and most of the time you know it was all kind of musicals in the afternoon and stuff mm. wasn't it and so I've picked Carmen Miranda right just because she sort of feels 
almost a bit forgotten now. And at mm. the time, she was, you know, such a huge star that people would do impersonations of her. You know, people would stick like a fruit bowl on their yeah. head. And that was them doing Carmen Miranda. And it's sort of weird how... And I suspect that she may have vanished a bit because there's a certain sort of, you know, stereotypical kind of cliched, slightly racist trope about you know having this sort of you know brazilian woman like playing argentinians and and cubans and you know i mean mm. oh they all look the bloody same kind mm. of casting in hollywood films and but i think that you know it's so weird because i just think that you know i'm pretty sure she must have been an actress and really fun yeah really really fun. fun really happy i think i did crave quite a lot of you know, when I was a teenager, I was quite happy to listen to very dark and moody music. But as a kid, I think I really was drawn towards things that were just, oh, look how happy they are. <laughs> That's where I want to be. And I also think, I, I'm just going to mention this because I think I haven't watched Radio Days in a long time. Mm. And it's my favourite bit of that film is the, the sister singing along to a Carmen Miranda track. She's got the dad and her uncle doing the backing vocals. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, wonderful. And she's like miming in the mirror with a hairbrush. And it's just my absolute, one of my favourite scenes in a film. Oh, it fantastic. just makes me happy instantly. I love that answer. Come Miranda, <laughs> first music you love. First music writer you loved. Now, I'm sure, you know, you've had mixed experiences with music writers and what they've said about you. I mean, it's tricky, really, because I think, as you say, you know, when I was probably only like, what, you know, when did Lush form? How old was I? God, I can't remember. 19 or something. So I grew up kind of reading smash hits, probably. That mm. was my first music paper that I got really into. And I'll be honest, like the NME and the, I didn't mind Record Mirror because that was a bit more pop, poppy. Mm. But the really serious ones just went right over my head. I didn't really understand, not least because all the reference points were things I just didn't know. Um, so I didn't really fixate that much on music writers. Um, I think the first music book I bought that I really did read cover to cover, which isn't difficult because there's a lot of pictures in it, was a book called Liverpool Explodes. And um, I have written down who wrote it. <laughs> uh, Mark Cooper. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, Mark Cooper, who <laughs> went on to be the producer of Later with Jules Holland. And he was head of BBC Music at some point. So, I mean, and the only reason I bought it was because I'd been to see The Teardrop Explodes in February 82. And there's a bit in the book where I'm sort of hanging around with this bunch of, like, hairdressers at Vidal Sassoon. One of them was like really into Echo and the Bunnymen, just wouldn't stop talking about Echo and the Bunnymen. So I got into Echo and the Bunnymen. So having got into both of these bands, um, I bought this book because it had both of them in it. And then I think uh, I think Wah are in it as mm. well. So it's this whole Liverpool scene. I think it's quite gossipy. There's a lot of pictures which really suited me. And it was also my introduction to The Fall because all of these bands were going on about Marky e. Smith. I'd never heard of The Fall. So that's how I actually got into The Fall and then went to see The Fall that December. Oh, brilliant. So it was quite a, you know, in those sort of pre-internet days, you kind of really took your information from, you know, as you said, going to a library and just mm. seeing this shelf of music yeah. books. Yeah. It's <laughs> like having a really well-connected friend yeah. Yeah. to sort of recommend things to you. And there's a privacy to it as well, because you're not kind of exposing yourself with people laughing at you for never heard 
never having heard yeah. of something. Yeah. So when you read a book and you find out about the fall and then quietly discover it yourself, it's not as exposing as, you know, someone going, oh, my God, have you never heard of the fall, for yeah. God's sake? <laughs> yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? We've had your first music you loved, first music writer you loved, not really a music writer, but the first music book you loved <laughs> is Liverpool Explodes. I must find that by um, Mark Cooper. That sounds great. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So um, now we come on to today's book choice, and this is Viv Albertine's Clothes, 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 Music, 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 Boys, 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 published by Faber. Um, when I remember first hearing about this book, that this book was happening in some form, I thought, wow, it's a really interesting mix of subject and publisher. You know, this, you know, slightly outside a musician, this, you know, punk musician from the slits, you know, not one of the mainstream best-known bands, Faber, this great English publishing house. Um, I wondered how that would work. Um, and then I remember when I first opened it and it began with Viv saying, you have to be either a twat or broke for writing an autobiography. <laughs> and there was a chapter about masturbation where she admitted not enjoying it. I thought, wow, I'm in. <laughs> I want to read this. What was this? So tell me how you came across this book. I think someone might have bought it for me and... I did the same where I thought, well, I don't really know anything. I'm not massive into the slits. You've been aware of them when you were younger. I had. And I think I had, I did have a couple of singles because I used to go to the record and tape exchange and buy loads of like old singles. So I had a few slits singles, um, which I quite liked, but, but no more than I mm. would like, you know, whoever. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So... Um, Basically, I think I was just pulled straight in in the same way you were because it, there's something about the style that was so unusual um, instantly. Like, it, it, I think especially with the early years stuff, it's very stark, mm. you know? It's very underexplained. It's quite sort of, you know, there's some very raw things there that, it's like a normal person would normally sort of want to kind of go, you know, oh, I don't want you to get the wrong impression or, you know, but but this happened and that happened. You know, her whole description of rejecting her father, which is fucking mm. brutal, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. But she doesn't kind of apologise for any of it, you know, and I quite like the room she leaves you to just sort of make your own mind up about that. Just, well, there you go. This is what happened I thought it made it a very engaging read, as in physically engaging, not charmed, but kind of like shit. You know, you're going to mm. have to sort of stay on top of this book because it's going to do really unusual and unexpected things. And I did know when I was reading it, I had a few people go, oh, yeah, I started reading it. But I just thought she sounded like she just was a really unpleasant person. And I remember sort of thinking that's such a weird reason to not read a book. Like, I thought, who gives a shit whether you think she's a nice person or not? It's it's riveting, isn't it? Like, 
And also, I did think, well, who the fuck are you to say that? (laughs) You haven't got to the end of it, at least if you read it all the way through. But it really alerted me to how judgmental people are about women writing about, you know, their honest experience and not conforming to how you're meant to feel about those things, but actually say, look, sorry, this is how I felt, you know, and... I really enjoyed, you know, the the fact that she, I don't know, the fact that she actually really liked Malcolm McLaren, you know, the fact that she talks about that kind of punk rock scene with picking out different people than the normal, like it's, it had become, I thought, quite tired. You know, part of me was like, do I have to read yet another book about punk rock that tells me the same stories of the same characters and the same events? Mm. And to have her just have a totally different perspective. You know, the fact that Sid Vicious is described in this sort of, you know, there's a sweetness in him as well. Um, He's kind of hard work to be in a band with and sort of quite sneery and and can be a bit cruel, but there's also vulnerability, which I thought no one else, I've I've read about this man for fucking decades and no one else has ever captured that. Yeah, yeah. That makes him like a human being almost rather than a caricature. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I just think that, you know, it's kind of interesting because everything is filtered through her. I mean, at some point it does get quite exhausting, you know, not least when she's talking about all the cancer and the real physicality. I mean, there's a lot of bodily functions in that book and and viscera, you know. (laughs) Yes. It's quite a hard read sometimes. Is it? I remember when I read it, just, you know, you have the punk years and, you know, the detail about that, you know, her relationships with people, like, you know, um, talks about this, like, calling it a sexual experience with John Lydon, kind of sort of like under, well, underplays the kind of like the sort of humour but bleakness of it. Um, and then there's um, obviously her relationship with Mick Jones, which is quite sweet at some time. There's, there's different elements of you know, all that going on. Um, but the post-fame bit, you know, she just, you know, talks about what happened afterwards. The original title for it was Deconstruction of a Legend. Um, yeah. She talked about wanting to pull apart the myth-making, you know, and show herself as a miserable housewife, a sufferer of cancer, as you said, you know, a mother giving birth and, and so on. Did that inspire you or influence you to deconstruct yourself a bit in your memoir? Or does that, did that come just from your need to tell your story in a certain way? I think that it definitely had an effect. I mean, I think um, the idea that you could write a very successful book without having to follow the usual rules, which I think, you know, are having to kind of stick to the narrative that has been laid down about your band, you know, and about your career, which has always been interpreted by other people, other journalists, and not least because when you're in a band, there's a real... You know, you have to kind of, I mean, I kind of loved her description of doing like interviews when Ari Up is sort of, you know, she's obviously really young at that stage, mm. but she's kind of nicking her lines. And then all these <laughs> these quotes get attributed to Ari. And, and then she's like, right, I'm just not going to speak in interviews then. You know what I mean? And all that shit that goes on in the big background of a band, but then how it's sort of translated into like, you know, features in the press and actually have you know having to sort of disentangle that and reveal the truth about it without just being 
you know, axe grinding. Mm. I think she does really well, you know, and I do think that she describes all the characters. She dry, she tells you what she fucking hates about them, what really pisses her off. Mm. All She's obviously quite thin-skinned because there are a lot of, you know, this person said this to me once, that person said that, you know, and it really does seem to bruise her. Mm, mm. Um, but, you know, at the same time, she kind of pushes back and actually... And also she does have a lot of love. You know, all of those people she writes about, she writes about with real fondness as well. So to me, it's like a massive book of contrast. And that's what I actually really like because usually people want to have a tidy narrative where, you know, this is the sort of trajectory and this is the story. But this is actually constantly full of contrast because on the one hand, she's incredibly judgmental sometimes and very unforgiving. But on the other time, you know, she's obviously really hurt by things and Mm. clearly quite damaged by things. And I think that contrast is what makes it really interesting Mm. Um, because she loves the people in her band, but they also fucking drive her crazy. (laughs) I did feel quite inspired by, Mm. you know, and I did feel that that's sort of what I wanted to do in the book as well, you know, that I would lay out a lot of the stuff that happened with, you know, my parents and that. But I do love them, you know, Mm. and I wanted that love to come across as well. Same goes with the band members, you know what I mean? And was that difficult? <clears throat> you know, um, you know, I my experience writing a book is very different. You know, I write about members of my family. Um, but I write a lot in the context of, you know, how that was the background to my love of certain music and how music gave me certain footholds. And you know, I wasn't in a band that I can write about. I can write about being a journalist. I can write about being a fan. Um, but you know, I remember thinking, you know, I want to be careful what I write about. You know, I have a little brother who was a baby when my father died and when I'm writing about that I want to think about his feelings and all this kind of stuff but that's very different to somebody like you writing about people who are in the band with you that you no longer get on with and how you navigate that was that something that you know did you have writer's block moments with that sometimes or did you just think I've just got to tell my version of the story and plow on I mean I kind of I, I wrote, the book is about 50% longer when I first wrote it, you know, because I was told by a friend to just vomit it all out. So I kind of, I did, I just wrote, because I'm, I'm not, you know, I wasn't a writer, I wasn't an experienced writer, so I don't really know what works until I've actually written it. And then I read back and then you think, well, I just don't think that comes across that great. You that's know what, that's I mean? what all writers do. Okay. <laughs> that's we really... vomit it all out, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's what I do. <laughs> So I think I wrote quite a lot more about, you know, um, my relationship with all the kind of band members, actually. But there comes a point where you think I wanted it to be a bit of a page turner as well. I didn't want it to just really, really sag. And I'm, you know, having been a kind of sub editor myself, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be the sub who then isn't going to listen to an editor when they're sort of telling you that there's certain bits that can be ditched. So I think... I my worry was, like I say, you know, with the kind of Viv book, it's the fact that you want both sides, you know, you need both sides of that relationship. With Viv's book, it's quite interesting. I mean, my God, you know, there's quite a lot of men. There's a lot of kind of crushes and there's a lot of, you know, she does describe people in a very sort of physical way. Women as well, you know, as, as you know, sensual lips and heart-shaped faces and there's a lot of kind of 
you know, in, interestingly in a way that I think if a man had written it, it would sound really fucking creepy. Mm, <laughs> like, <laughs> but there's a kind of romanticness to it that sort of, and I, I'm sort of reading between the lines because clearly there is promiscuity and things like that. And I do wonder how, whether she was seen as a bit of a slag or something, you know, back then, you know, people could be incredibly judgmental and she's even trying to explain away how it was far more innocent than that. You know, she likes kissing. She doesn't really know what she's doing when Rotten wants a fucking blowjob. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) And I thought even that was just really charming. Yeah, and it also (laughs) makes a figure like Viv Alpertine, you know, who I still think of when I say those words in my head, of her in the cover of the Slits Cut album, you know, like a warrior woman covered in mud, you know, boobs covered in mud. You know, that's what I think of her. And I met her and I've interviewed her a couple of times um, and realised there were all these depths and nuances and different textures to people. You know, this book really reveals that. Um, Now, you know, obviously that book was a big success. You know, it was bestseller, which still is amazing. You know, it's like somebody from the Slits in a best-selling book. So wonderful. You know, um, it came not long after Tracy Thorne's first book, Beds of Disco Queen. You know, obviously, there have been memoirs by women before. Of course there had. But there was this real rush of memoirs by women in music, you know, in the mid-2010s, you know, because, you know, partly because, um, you know, Faber did well with some. And then basically publishers were realising that there are all these different stories to be told and people who want to read these stories have you loved any other recent memoirs by women in that area I mean I did love the Tracy Thorne book and I read that retrospectively because I think again because I wasn't you know everything but the girl was another band that I thought yeah whatever (laughs) you know this is your thing um so I kind of caught up with that after I'd read Viv's book um and it's so beautifully written. You know, again, I think what sort of stands out with both of these women for me is that the writing is really good. Mm, yeah. You know, it's not as much as the sort of after kind of band story with Viv stuff is fascinating. I mean, I really love that My Rock and Roll Friend that Tracy mm, Thorn wrote. Yeah. I just thought it was yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? brilliant. Like she's so clever at, at kind of walking that line between there's a kind of quiet anger to her, you know, in the way that Viv's is much more sort of naked and raw and occasionally just bursts out with stuff. I really love Tracy Thorne's kind of very controlled. There's a simmer there. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, just different personalities, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, and and a, yeah, her her character sort of really comes through in the book and speaking on behalf of her friend. And I think it's really brilliant. I mean, the bit, the image that stays with me from that rock and roll friend is, is Lindsay Morrison having to make this sort of, like she wants to make this Christmas dinner in this shitty squat with the birthday party and all of these fucking boys who end up completely just like smacked out of their heads and face down in this Christmas dinner that she's worked so hard to just bring a little bit of joy into this shitty, absolutely desolate squat. And I think it was just such a beautiful image that, you And you're know, not thinking of that when you listen to the go-betweens or everything like that, are you? You know, like... no, um, I don't know if you've read Naked at the Alba Hall is a really good one as well, which is about singing and about her stage fright and about just the voice. And She's written different memoirs about different aspects of her life. And I think that's really exciting as well, about growing up in the suburbs, about her friendship with somebody. And and sort of shows you can write different 
you can write like different memoirs about different things. Have you thought about writing more? Um, I have, but I'm sort of still, I suppose I'm still so much in the throes of promoting this one that I need, I need a bit of time to yeah. think. It sort of panics me a bit to even think about it, you know, because people, I mean, people are lovely about it and they are like, you know, oh, you've got to write another book. What's your and, next book? Yeah. What's your next book? And, you know, <laughs> do, have you thought about fiction? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about, and I'm sort of like, it's all a bit overwhelming. Yeah. You know, there is something about just sort of thinking of me sitting in front of a, you know, blank <laughs> Word document, you know, <laughs> crying. <laughs> and also you should need time to kind of like, process it and you know get away from it as well I found anyway yeah. I think I need to um I I think as with all things uh it's doing it that is it, like thinking about it is really important but doing it is really important as well and I think there's you know the other thing that that Viv's book kind of really inspired in me because it was around the time of the Lush reunion I think I hadn't made up my mind yet whether to do it and after I read Viv's book, I did think, okay, she had that whole year of saying yes. Mm. Like, I'm just going to fucking do this shit, you know, no matter how uncomfortable happens. it makes me feel. So that was partly why I kind of went along with it and put in the work. You know, I kind of, you know, she documents really well how she's just relearning to play the guitar mm. and relearning how to and trying to learn how to sing. And you know what I mean? And really puts the work in. And I kind of followed that as well. Mm. And I think that writing requires the same thing. You know, it's all very, you know, actually, I'm not going to lie. It does drive me a bit crazy when you get people who sit there telling you the plot of some film that they're writing, <laughs> which, you know, is never, ever going to get made, you know. <laughs> and there is a sort of, can you just, why don't you just go and do it, right? And tell me about it when it's already, like, at the cinema. <laughs> like, so I probably wouldn't I think talking about it can often kind of dissipate your oh, energy yeah. yeah I don't tell anybody anything I'm doing I just keep it in the background keep it yeah um, before we move on to our final questions I was wondering whose memoirs would you like to read that haven't been written yet by maybe women women in music or um, you know any other musicians people whose stories you'd love to read do you know what? I, I probably can't because I think if I think of like musicians that I'm really into, um, you know, they probably they've got such dazzling lives that it would just be all be taken up with sort of the bits that I find quite boring. <laughs> you know, all the kind of like, oh, then we were hanging out with David Bowie and blah, 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 um, which I'm really not interested in. And actually, I think the the thing that would be more interesting is probably hearing it would probably be written by a musician whose music I don't even think that a huge amount about. Mm. I think those are often the more interesting stories. You know, certainly the ones that you haven't heard before because, to be honest, the really big stars, they've already been written about here, there and everywhere. Mm. It's also about hearing someone's own voice and if they can write. Mm. And none of that is really to do with the career that they may have had beforehand. Mm. Like someone in a band that I've barely heard of could write the most astonishing book that I would do you know what I mean mm. I can't really think of no but I have a good answer <laughs> if you're somebody from an obscure band from this date then who is a good writer please get in touch with Mickey for some <laughs> advice <laughs> thank you so much for talking to me about um, Close Called Close music 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 boys 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 which is very hard to say 
Um, which I think it was. You, did you say it to me, or did we just have a chat about it? I can't remember. I think I. This was, is that we met at this um, the new queue Christmas drunk, party. <laughs> I had, had a couple of glasses of wine, yeah, um, and yeah, I can't remember. But um, that no, was a I night think... of many writers. A lot of my favourite people were there. People like Sylvia Patterson, one of my favourite music writers ever. A lot of great people, and I'm in the corner going, "Oh, <laughs> let's talk about this book." I think it might have been you. I don't know. No, anyway, I think, no. What it was was I. It's <laughs> very interesting to the I listeners. Obviously, the, the book about Nico that James. Oh, and we've done it. Such as, and yeah. you were like, "No, that's not." We've like, done oh that already, God. Mickey. Adele Stripe, yeah. season one, episode nine, available now on Apple Podcasts and all of the streaming services. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but um, yeah, great. And then great you did book. say you you did say that. Well, no one's done the Vival. Yeah, I've been book, desperate, which I was astonished by. I I've, thought, well, yeah, I've been desperate to do Viv's book because it's such a kind of you know, a breakthrough book in the last decades that, you know, just does something not necessarily new or different, but in a, in a you know, there's been great memoirs, as I say, by women in the past, which we shouldn't forget, but it kind of reignited this kind of idea that you can be somebody who could tell your story in a way that's true to you and is unusual and is, you know, deconstructed, as she says, that is really, really powerful. So, yeah, okay, I'll take that then. I'll, I'll suggest <laughs> to you. It would be great to chat to you about it. So... Do you have, as we get to the end of the podcast, recommendations for any more books? Oh, um, a few already. Obviously, the Tracy Thorn, um, yeah, my rock and roll friend. I mean, I really enjoyed Ted Kessler's book, right? I mean, yeah. I'm not going to lie, when it gets to the sort of interviews and stuff that he did, I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But I really loved all the childhood stuff. You this know. is Paper Cuts that came out last year. Yes. Yeah. And and that's not a criticism of how he writes all the band stuff. It's just that it's just not, you know, I, I, I've read all those things before. I'm not that interested. But his description. So, again, you know, this doesn't have to be an incredibly famous person. This description of his teenage years of mm. being moved to France, of being this sort of fish out of water. I think he describes brilliantly yeah. the violence at the time towards anyone who looked different which I think Viv does as well you know that idea of walking down the street and being chased by skinheads and that kind of bristling violence that is always waiting for you Mm. and poor old Ted who if you ever meet him is such a sweet little cuddly guy and the thought of someone like just threatening to beat him up if he doesn't take his DMs off and give them to some like horrible thug who's on the Paris metro and just poor old Ted just sort of sighs and takes these lovely DMs off and gives them to this twat and has to walk <laughs> home barefoot you know it's like oh because he's a got sense a little you, Mohican and everything I get know? a sense you know you got quite you know got quite well trained in how to deal people in those teenage years you know so he can face anyone once he's a music journalist you know you could take on the Gallaghers and he'll be fine and all that um any and and I tell you what, it's brilliant as well because I, I've been a sub and I worked at magazines for about twenty years. His description of the end days of of um, Q are—I just thought I so recognise that that yeah. kind of that sort of shit ideas from management and publishers, you know, inflicted on you mm. um, where you think, are you actually trying to kill this magazine? <laughs> like, seriously. And I just found those chapters hilarious. So I totally recommend it if you've ever worked in publishing. And any others? I know you've, you've already recommended a few. So um, I mean, I'm I'm kind of, I've, I've 
got to read. I'm sort of reading. Lucy O'Brien's got a book about um, uh, Karen Carpenter that's coming out. Oh, it's coming out soon, isn't very, it? Very, yeah. very soon. Called Lead Sister, and I've got. I, I, I'm trying to get them to send me an actual paper copy of it because I've been reading it on screen, but. <laughs> I've literally. I don't have an iPad, so I'm literally reading it on my phone. It's actually <laughs> killing me, right? <laughs> but I'm sort of quite intrigued because, um, you know, Lucy's a friend of mine, so I am, you know, full plugging. disclosure. Yes, full disclosure. But um, and it's on the same publisher as mine. But uh, she has written about. You know, she writes about women a lot. So she wrote a book about skin or with skin. Mm. She wrote her biography and then she's written about Madonna and she's written about Dusty Springfield. Oh, her Dusty Springfield book is fantastic. Exactly. So she gets very sort of personally rooted into these characters. So I think, you know, it's sort of like, again, you know, trying to sort of cover the, the sort of two contrasting sides of someone like Karen Carpenter on the one hand is this sort of incredibly successful like one of the most successful you know mm. and it's quite sweet that Viv Albertine actually mentions her in the book yeah, as well as yeah. the singer she most wishes he sounded like mm. which her husband sneers at you know? <laughs> um, but I think but also who just is kind of rewritten as such a victim like was she re you know like she was totally controlled by her brother or she was you know, this anorexic and kind of, you know, oh, like somewhere in the middle of that, her personality has been lost, I think. Mm, mm. And I think, you know, I kind of trust Lucy to sort of revive that. And already mm. the, some of the early years I'm reading about, you know, even the reason she played drums, there's a kind of fierceness and a tomboyishness mm. that you wouldn't necessarily associate with someone like Karen Carpenter if you didn't know that much about her, you know, which I'm quite enjoying. And and just even their kind of religious community and, you know, to write about that with the positives and the negatives, mm. you know, how that can actually be quite controlling and crippling, but also is a community that gives her space to be, yeah. you know, and, and a family. So, well, that sounds yeah. great. Um, I should recommend off the back of that also there's a book um, in the Faber White certain artist matters series um all female artists there's a book about karen carpenter why karen carpenter matters in that mix which is really good um loads of books for you to read all 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 there go and get them um and finally what's your book song now um just for listeners who may be new to the podcast this is a song inspired by um a book a work of literature a writer um, and our playlist from the first season is up there. And obviously it's growing now because we're in season two. What have you chosen uh, for your book song? I'm slightly panicking now because I'm not sure I looked at the right list to see if it's been on there before. <laughs> <laughs> but I picked Charlotte Sometimes by The Cure. Oh, oh my gosh. No, it's not on. <laughs> okay. Uh, the book Charlotte Sometimes, the novel, is one of my favourite <laughs> children's novels it's so weird it's so beautiful do you know the novel well i read it you know did I you read did, it as an adult like i did well yeah. i did used to read things because of bands sometimes so i did read uh charlotte sometimes i mean i wasn't i think i was still probably a teenager right right but i wasn't you know i mean i don't know what, what age to read that book would probably be like 13 or something yeah, you know it's yeah. kind of young adult yeah yeah fiction, isn't it as and it's about a girl who, who goes to a boarding school and she wakes up the next day and then she's somebody else. She kind of wakes up, every time she wakes up, she's in these different 
she doesn't know who she's going to be. Yeah. And, and there's it's, this weird tree outside her room and it's all very... And it's strange, set in the late 1910s. I think the thing that stays with me is that room. It's that waking up in that bed and not, you know, the the shadows falling differently. Mm. Um, and it's sort of, I mean, you know, there's a kind of tradition, isn't there, with those sort of books that were written in Britain at a certain time where it's, you know, everyone's like, God, I don't know, they're kind of separated from their parents because of war or mm. or they've got... Or they're very ill. Yes, they're yeah. always, there's lots of illness, isn't there? People kind of stuck in bed and away from school for long periods of mm. time and nearly dying and mm. consumption and God knows what, you know. Yeah. And I think, but there's a the disjointed, like the kind of randomness of like going to sleep and not knowing where you're going to wake up, Yeah, I think is something that probably resonates with, like it's quite a deep-seated terror, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I think even if you extend it to just things like, you know, lip, I felt, you know, moving schools a lot, you know, like that thing of, or friendships, you know, that you you can you can kind of leave school on a Friday and by Monday someone isn't talking to you. Like mm. things just change yeah. when you go to sleep and then the next day comes and all sorts of shit has changed that you've got no control there's, over. There's a wonderful story online on a blog, I hope it's still up there, that you'll have to find out and Google um, about what happened when Robert Smith met Penelope Farmer, I think her, the writer was, when he met the writer of Charlotte Sometimes. Oh, when, really? Yeah, it's wonderful. I'm not going to say anything more, but oh, it's online. It's okay. really lovely. But, um, oh, I'm glad you picked that and shrieked with excitement because I adore that And it's a lovely book. song. I mean, oh, I, honestly, yeah. I did used to play that slightly obsessively, that song, because there's mm. a sort of wailing heartache in there that, oh, yeah. that was, you know, perfect for an adolescent kind of you know, miserableist. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Charlotte, sometimes uh, by The Cure um, added to our playlist. Um, there is a link to the playlist on our songbook page. Um, thanks, Mickey, for being my first guest for season two. Thank you. I've had a lovely time. I hope you have as well. Um, uh, all our songbook episodes are up now on Apple Podcasts um, and other streaming services of your choice. Please like and subscribe. I hate saying that, but it does help us get more people listening and, yeah, tell your friends, etc., etc. Thanks very much for listening and I'll see you next week. This has been a White Rabbit and Carmelite Studios production. Presented and written by Jude Rogers. Music by David Holmes. Episode producer, Joe Conlon. Associate producer, Jake Alderson. Editor, Dan Jones. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching fashion trends, pep talks where we give advice, mental health moments, and games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.